We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. From KCBS Radio, I'm Mallory Samara in for Matt Pittman, and this is Bay Current for Friday, July 22nd. Earlier this week, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been President Biden's chief medical advisor and for decades the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, told Politico that by the time President Biden's first term ends, he will very likely retire from the government saying that, quote, his time is running out. He later clarified by saying that by January 2025, he doesn't see himself in the same position, but didn't want to solidify a total retirement anytime soon. But still, Dr. Fauci's presence in the media, both hated and loved as a face of public health in the fight against COVID-19, isn't his first time at the forefront of a rapidly spread virus tearing apart communities across the world. I'm working directly on, on AIDS, both clinically and from a basic science standpoint, but it, it gives me a great deal of pleasure and excitement to, to, to talk about AIDS because it really is one of the few, or actually one of the only uh, subjects of all of the subjects that we tackle throughout the years uh, where you really have to change your lecture every month because of the extraordinary advances and evolution of this syndrome. That has provided a great challenge for the scientists involved in this and has provided, in many respects, hope for the individuals who are. This video from the National Library Archives took place at an AIDS conference in 1984 at the National Institutes of Health. It's the same year that our KCBS Radio News anchor John Evans was on the air at KFRC here in the Bay Area. They started putting together radio's first in-depth series of news stories, public service announcements, talk shows, and public affairs stories about the epidemic, which was sweeping through San Francisco. It aired in the first week of 1985. Dr. Fauci was one of their chief contacts. He taught me to put the human first. John Evans, who I've had a blast working with closely as his editor here at KCBS Radio, has been on the air in San Francisco since 1979. He sat down with me to talk about Dr. Fauci and his impact through both the AIDS crisis and COVID-19 pandemic. Well, great. Well, let's go back to 1981. So I was working at KYA in San Francisco when the first wire story came across about this new gay-related immune deficiency, this new uh, syndrome called GRID. This was before it was called AIDS, it was called GRID. 
and it was showing up in gay men in San Francisco, L.A., New York. So we immediately jumped into action and started calling around and started discovering that the gay press had already been reporting about this. Uh, the newspapers in San Francisco back in those days, the Sentinel and the BAR, the Bay Area Reporter, were already covering this gay-related uh, cancer and that was sweeping through many of the gay communities. Mm. A year and a half later, they changed the name of it to AIDS. So that was in, I believe, 82, 83, sometime around there. And by then, uh, dozens of men were dying every week. And the BAR and the Sentinel were dedicating whole pages of the newspapers to obits back then. So by 84, I was now at a different radio station, and our news director, Vicki Liviakis, who's now on Channel 4 on Cron TV, she's an anchor there, uh, she said, we need to do something about this. We need to do an in-depth report about AIDS, how you contract it, what it is. We need to get in touch with the, the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Anthony Fauci. We need to talk to the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. We need to talk to the San Francisco Health Department. We need to do a whole series of news reports, public affairs reports, public service announcements. We need to do a talk show on it, maybe on two different Sundays. We need to go all in. But before we could do that in 1984, we had to get permission from corporate to talk about gay sex. We had to get permission from our lawyers to say the word condom on the air, because prior to then, you never heard that word on the, on the radio. We had to discuss in frank terms how you contracted HIV, how it was spread, and that meant talking to health experts and getting honest with what it was we were dealing with as a country. So that's where we were sort of politically and socioeconomically and, you know, the, the whole sort of ethos of the time. Uh, we hadn't ever heard anything like that on the radio before. And just real quick, this is during the Reagan administration who exactly. wouldn't even say AIDS until what, 87? 87, yeah. And so to be able to talk about these things on air. Reagan became president in January of 81 and uh, never mentioned AIDS until 1987. Six years passed. And in that time, thousands of Americans died. His best friend, Rock Hudson, died during mm -hmm. that time in 1985. And mm -hmm. he and Nancy, Ron and Nancy Reagan, were very close to Rock Hudson. And mm -hmm. Rock died of AIDS. But uh, no one would even talk about it. They still would talk about it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that was the culture of that period. And so... Once we finally got permission at KFRC to, to be frank on the air, we started calling all the experts. Anthony Fauci had, you know, I, th I think he gave an interview I saw maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago where he said that AIDS was where he gained his reputation. Because prior to that, nobody had the sort of national spotlight that he did. He began his career as the epidemic was starting, and he made himself available to little old radio stations in San Francisco and all around the rest of the country to, to answer the phone and to call them back and to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And I remember I must have interviewed him half a dozen times over the phone during the course of our research in the latter half of 1984 prior to the special going on the air in early 1985, in January of 1985. And he 
was gracious and kind and informative and stern and uh, got a lot of pushback in the gay community. The, the, the organized gay community hated Dr. Fauci because they sort of took their anger at Reagan out on him. You know, mm. he was an arm of the government. The government wasn't doing enough. Fauci's just trying to push pills at us, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's that whole conversation. I mean, that, his reputation in the gay community changed years later. But in the mm. early days, it was really contentious. But he still just like he's done through the whole pandemic, he never lost his composure. He never got angry. He never showed frustration. He always was measured. He always kept it about the science or what we knew at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and here we are more than 40 years later, we still have no cure for HIV. We have treatments, but no cure. And he, you know, he worked tirelessly in those early years thinking that we would find a cure, find some kind of effective treatment to cure it slow it down, but it wouldn't be until 1996 before the meds that we know today as the cocktails that are keeping men alive and women alive, that didn't happen for another 15 years, You're, yeah. you know, after the initial onset of HIV. So yeah. Fauci was, I have very fond memories of that time, just because he was, always, he always took our call or he always called us back. And he was gracious with his time and with, with, with what he knew. And he was honest. He never overpromised. And so what you see today with how he's handled himself through the entire COVID pandemic is very much the man that I remember back 40 years ago. He yeah. carried himself in much the same way, maybe a little wiser, maybe a little more battle scarred, mm -hmm. but certainly uh, the same gentle, kind doctor in the lab coat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What did you learn from him? And what was it like for you and your colleagues just to be able to spread this information, this very important information to the public and, and to people in the Bay Area? Well, we knew what we were embarking on would be a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, back in the late Back in late 84, early 85, anytime there was a news story on television uh, about an AIDS patient, they were always obscured. They were blacked out. Mm. Or on the radio, a lot of the AIDS patients that we interviewed in our series on KFRC, the, the series was called AIDS, the People, the Plague. And when we talked to the people in the AIDS ward at SF General, they never wanted their voices used. They wanted them obscured. So we had to do some fancy work to make their voices sound kind of strange like this, like they were coming through a machine. Yeah. Uh, and, and the TV was doing the same thing. They were blacking people out. So you only saw their silhouettes on TV. Nobody wanted to be seen. And one of the things that you asked me that Fauci taught me, he taught me to put the human first. Compassion when talking about the disease. We're talking about human beings here who are suffering. Mm. And... Uh, he never lost sight of that in our conversations, much like he didn't lose sight of that during the, the COVID pandemic. He yeah. always had a compassion and an empathy for the people who were hurt, for suffer for the families and the people who were suffering. So not just statistics, not just numbers. Exactly. And it reminds me of something that, and this is hard for me, even after all this time, hard for me to talk about, but um, in line with that, one of the things that my producer and I would do is we would go to the AIDS ward and interview AIDS patients. 
and uh, and I grew close to a couple of them, but one in particular. He was 29. His name was Milton White, and Milton was this beautiful young man who. Oh, he just had so much charisma, and you know he smiled with every every muscle in his face, and you know he he exuded joy, and he was sick. He was so sick, and he grew up in a in a home, uh, I believe, with a single mother who was an addict, and she died, and then he ended up getting raised by his grandmother, and then to support himself, he had to become a hooker on the streets of San Francisco, and that's where he contracted HIV. Um, and he became my friend and we, you know, we had multiple conversations and then just before the series aired, he died at 29 years old, just before his 30th birthday. And at that time in 1985, I was 28, I think 27, 28. So I wasn't much younger than him. And, uh, that devastated me was the first person I knew. He was the first person I knew. My producer, Michael Lynn Myers, uh, was producing that series with me. And she was the one who did most of the interviews with Milton and or organized most of the interviews with Milton. And um, we still talk about him. When we get together, we still talk about Milton and, and, and what he taught us through his struggle. Because back in 1984, 85, um, the disease, the, the syndrome, while it may have been new in the media, mm. had been around for years. There are some estimates now that the HIV had been around for decades, but it had just mutated to the point where it was getting people sick by, by the early 80s. Yeah. So some of these men had been carrying this virus in them for so long and it had now mutated by the time they knew they were sick, they were dead. I mean, that's how fast it was happening back then. You would yeah. see somebody perfectly healthy one week. Two weeks later, you'd see them walking down the street. They had lost all of their weight. Their faces were sunken in. They were probably covered in KS lesions all over their arms and face. And their hair had fall started falling out. You know, their fingers were bony. And we're talking about men in their 20s and 30s who looked like they were 80 or 90 years old, you know, and... Yeah. That's what it was like, like walking through San Francisco, especially the Castro back then was like walking through a, a set of the walking dead. And um, uh, it was it was a really, really bleak, dark time. Yeah. And so to have someone um, and not just someone like Dr. Fauci, but I mean, really, I think this in-depth series that you and your colleagues produced to have this program put names and stories to this terrible epidemic. Um, that's really, I, I think that is the epitome of, of what people think of when they describe news and radio as a public service to people. Absolutely. And back then, in 1984, I, I didn't mention this, but I, I probably should. Uh, the person who helped us the most put this whole series together was Randy Schultz. Randy was um, the first openly gay reporter for a major new American newspaper, and he worked for the Chronicle. And 
And then I think of also Hank Plant. Hank was a reporter for Channel 5, KPIX-TV, upstairs from KCBS on the, on the fourth and fifth floor. So yeah. Hank Plant was doing stories for television back then. You had the gay newspapers, the, the Sentinel and the BAR, covering HIV extensively in the gay community. And then the Chronicle, back then when it was a real newspaper, covering this story with with Randy Schultz leading the charge back then. And Randy died of AIDS in 1995. I remember going to his funeral at Grace Cathedral and couldn't get into the church because there were so many people who who made it into the church that day. And then there were hundreds of people on the street corner outside Glide, and they set up speakers out there so you could hear the service on the... I mean, that was how big Randy Schultz was to the gay community back then. Because he and Hank and KFRC and the Chronicle and the BAR and the Sentinel, we were covering the story. But we were such a small army because vast parts of the country were still ignoring it in those days. And they weren't telling the truth about what it was and how you got it. And they weren't... Instead of tamping down the hysteria with facts, just mm -hmm. like with COVID, people were spreading misinformation and false information and preying on people's fears and much like what happened during COVID. I cannot tell you how, for me, as a gay man who lived through AIDS in those early years and who has HIV, I'm HIV positive, I don't know if you know that, but you know, to, to have lived through that we were all re-traumatized with COVID. When COVID yeah. happened, it was like, oh my God, what's happening? And now it's happening on an even bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And the same government crap and the echo chambers and the misinformation, the disinformation, the, you know, creating enemies out of American people and, you know, the fights and the you know, the, the, the left versus the right and the red versus the blue and, you know, and it's still happening. We, we lost over, we've lost over a million people to COVID when yeah. none of that was necessary. Special thanks to John Evans for sharing his story with me today. New episodes are out every day and we'd love to be a part of your daily routine. Please subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app or just about anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also check us out on YouTube, on the KCBS Radio YouTube page. That's it for today's Bay Current. I'm Mallory Samara for Matt Pittman. We'll chat with you again next week. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 
The MLB app. You can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.